people who know nothing about it might look at people wearing dog masks or cat ears and think, oh, that's so weird, why are you doing that? But I would just say to those people, try it to see how it feels because I think it's a really great way to shed the trappings of humanity for a while and to feel a bit silly and have some fun with it. And ultimately, people that I've shared this kink with, they begin to feel a lot more comfortable in their own skin. Hello and welcome back to Spank You Next, a fetish and BDSM podcast. We're your hosts, Anna and Gregor, and you're listening to the seventh episode and our final episode of season one. Yeah, How wow. are you, Gregor? You have COVID. I have COVID. Sad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was almost sure that I would never get it. And I was actually in Portugal last weekend. And on my last day, I just, you know, I... It, felt like a really bad cold not feeling well and so I went home and when I was home I said okay let's just do a test just to be sure and oh my god it was full covid <laughs> so yeah so I'm at home right now a clear line clear red yeah, line I mean you've avoided it well I've had it twice and you might remember if you've listened to I think it was episode four we had to do it remotely as well like we are now because I had covid and that's just the world we live in yeah yeah I mean, it's actually nice. I'm having kind of, I built a small home studio. I hope you can hear me clearly, kind of have lots of cushions and blankets all around me. And, You're in your pajamas. Yeah. I'm in pajamas. really there. <laughs> I'm literally, kind of, I'm, I'm way better now. I really am, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated. So I had two days of headache and a bit of a cold. And that was basically it. And now I have to uh, isolate at home. And I'm reading, I'm reading loads of books. That's good. You're not just watching Netflix and being a bum. No, no. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I did. Although the new season of Killing Eve is out and I'm a real big fan. Oh, yeah, I heard that. I actually watched Succession when I had COVID and it's so good. I, but now I just have this tainted memory of how bad I felt because this was pre-vaccine. Oh, my God. It brings back some bad memories. <laughs> yeah. Also, this is a momentous day for me. Because I've been vegan for a month oh, yeah, yeah. as a challenge. And today was my first time I could eat. Uh, I am a meat eater, but also cheese. And I really am very happy. Sorry to say. I'm going to be more vegan. I cook more vegan, but I- I'm loving having the the dairy back in my so life. So tell us why. Why have you been vegan for a month? So I have a friend, Dave, shout out. He listens to the pod. He is vegan, but still loves meat. But he's way more ethical than you or I. And for every person that goes vegan for a month, he gets one meal that has meat in it. And, you know, it may not have so much logic, but that's a good logic for me. So I thought for him to have a steak at the end of it or fried chicken, I would go vegan for a month. I I, I really get your friend because I, I was a vegetarian for five years and, and I really love meat. And I have friends who are vegetarian and they say, I never liked meat. I never really ate a lot. And I was always like, okay, so for you, it's easy. And for me, it's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I think it's even more ethical if you actually love it and give it up. Because if you just don't like it, like it's it's a nice byproduct that it's ethical, but you, you just don't like it as well. Some of my friends will tell you that I have been a bit miserable at times, but I think on the whole, smashed it. Yeah, you did it. You can be really proud of yourself. I kept coming into our office and we usually just have vegan or veggie food, but they kept having barbecues. Yeah, yeah. There's just sausages everywhere. <laughs> and this never usually happens. Oh my, because this is, uh, because Anna and I, we live in Barcelona and um, in Catalonia. February 
is the month they are having loads of barbecues. I don't know why, kind of, we kind of more northern Europeans, we have barbecues in summer, but here they have loads of barbecues in February. Yeah, I'm not going to go vegan in February again. No. I just keep walking into barbecues yeah. everywhere. Okay, so... Anyway, yeah, we, we're getting sidetracked. <laughs> we said this is uh, the last episode of season one. And this is because, you know, the original intention of the podcast was to interview the educators of the BDSM training school from fetish.com. And we've done that. Kind of today is the last... We've done it yeah, good. Last episode with uh, Divine Theratrix. She's one of the educators. And now Anne and I, we want to take some time of rethink the concept of the podcast, think about who we want to have on, who we want to talk to and what topics we want to discuss. But, you know, don't worry, avid listeners, we will be back. We've already done a couple of interviews for season two. It's all in the pipeline and we'll probably only take a few weeks off and be back around mid-April with our first episode. So keep your ears peeled. But in the meantime, let's introduce Divine Theratrix and her work. Yeah. So uh, today is all about pet play. Pet play. And this is something Anne and I, we already spoke about it a lot. Uh, I'm really into puppy play. I kind of, especially the masks. Oh, so adorable. You love it. I love it. Yeah. Although I have to say, I think I'm really more into the aesthetics of it. Maybe also the role play aspect. But... As with a lot in BDSM, there's a whole spectrum, you know, there's there's some people who like just like to put on the masks, the, the harnesses, there's also mittens, and other people, they are more into the role play, and then there's people who are almost into a 24-7 dynamic when it comes to be a real dog. Yeah, and as we talk about in the episode, I remember when I was a teenager and I watched a documentary about pet play and it really was more 24 7 lifestyle so it was men who lived in cages they pooed outside they drank from a dog bowl and while some people are into that a lot of it is more the playful aspect and that's divine theratrix thing she works with the psychological aspect of play and just freeing yourself from the shackles of humanity for a session can be very liberating Yes, exactly. I think she started out more in the reins of therapy and then introduced BDSM into her work. And now she is a risk-informed BDSM instructor. And she works a lot with this idea of play, you know, getting rid of the limitations of society and see what happens if you just engage in the moment. Absolutely. And even you can tell the little word play in her name, Theratrix, dominatrix therapist, love it. She really has a handle on conscious kink, and this is what we get into in the episode, mental health and BDSM, how play can be very beneficial for your mental health as well as your physical well-being and all that comes with it. And I think she can explain much better than we can, so how about we get her in here? Yes, let's bring her in. Divine Theratrix, welcome to the pod. We're super happy to have you on season yeah, one. Yeah, nice of, to have you here. Of a soon-to-be-very-famous Fetish and BDSM podcast. <laughs> Let's first of all talk about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself as a conscious kink BDSM practitioner and as a sex coach and based in London. Yeah, well, it's an interesting journey in a way, I guess. It's kind of been an extension of a lifestyle I started over a decade ago where I was going to a lot of sex parties and then fetish clubs, which I migrated into and I found, oh, these are more my people. And becoming a professional was 
a natural progression from there because what had been my secret life, I wanted it to become my real life. You know, there was this double life going on where I had a respectable, I'm putting that in air quotes, respectable job. (laughs) Yeah, you were in law, right? There was quite a journey from what kind of law did you practice to BDSM? And how long did it take you kind of to go from one thing to doing completely the other thing? Well, yeah, I was an employment lawyer. In terms of how long it took me to change my career, because I was building on a lot of experience in my personal life, the technical transition, which was essentially just building a viable business, it was just a matter of months, really. I found a mentor who was practicing BDSM in a way that inspired me a lot. It was coming at it from the perspective of Jungian psychology, so as a means of integrating the shadow psyche. And at that moment, when I read a leaflet of his, it just clicked and I thought, wow, there's someone actually doing this in the way that I really want to do it. And they're running a business. Wow, maybe I could do that and I could actually do the job that I really want to do. So, yeah, it was um, pretty quick from that point, really. Once I make up my mind, I'm quite rapid in putting things into motion. Wow, because I think it's really great that you achieved it, because when you think of it, I guess that there's a lot of people who live this kind of double life, you know, because BDSM is still really stigmatized and loads of people just can't really talk openly about it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was in social circles with a lot of people that were practicing BDSM and outsiders might think, oh, they're so weird. But to me, they were the sanest people in the world. They weren't hiding away from things that other people are ashamed of. They were more integrated than other humans I'd met at, you know, kind of normal, again, air quotes, (laughs) clubs or events. What was the initial draw to BDSM in your personal life? And then what made you feel this is something that I actually think you need to train in to be an educator? Because obviously it is something that does come with risks. Yeah, I think a lot of it for me was to do with me being a person that thinks a lot um, dare I say an overthinker you know in, in my head a lot you know I spent about 80% of my life in my head sometimes that would block me from receiving physical pleasure because I'd be thinking about things and then when I discovered BDSM again it was one of these aha moments it clicked and I thought ah here is a way to get out of the head and into the body Even if you go through a door in the head, (laughs) it gradually leads its way through um, to a place where your body feels more open to receive pleasure. And I just thought that was a wonderful thing. And at the time when I discovered that there were people practicing BDSM um, in a way that was uh, integrating some Jungian psychology, I was working as a talking therapist because I like to help people so I've always been very interested in psychology and then I just began to see how the two could link up in some way I just thought wow maybe this is another vehicle for helping people actually work with their own psychology because humans are very complex animals and one way into the psyche could work for a person and it wouldn't work for someone else and I think that 
it's great that we can all try out different ways of finding out what makes us tick and BDSM was one of those ways that I thought oh that's that's actually really interesting and I'd love to know how to do that because I think I can help people with it. Yeah, this is actually something I, I read that a lot from you that we are still all animals in the end. And on the BDSM training school on fetish.com, you're doing this introduction course to pet play. So maybe you want to explain us a little bit what this course is about? Yeah, pet play, for me, I find it so fun. And like a lot of kinks, it's one of those activities that people who know nothing about it might look at people wearing dog masks or cat ears and think, oh, that's so weird, why are you doing that? But I would just say to those people, try it, to see how it feels, because I think it's a really great way to shed the trappings of humanity for a while and to feel a bit silly and have some fun with it. And ultimately, people that I've shared this kink with they begin to feel a lot more comfortable in their own skin. And I've lost track of the original question you asked there. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just explaining about your pet play course. I think actually for some people, they might not even know what pet play is. So could you talk us through a little bit what it means to you know, reach the state of primal consciousness you talk about and, like you say, shedding the humanity for a while. And in what way can you do that in, for example, your course? Yeah, so I'll start off with pet play because I do distinguish that a little from primal play. Pet play, it tends to be within the container of a dominant and submissive dynamic. So one person who will be the human will be the owner or the master the mistress the person who's in the top or the dominant role and then the other person will be in the bottom or submissive role and they will be the pet and that means taking on the mannerisms of any creature that they wish to role play so it's it's a game where we use our imagination and we get to encounter other aspects of ourselves and act in ways that we wouldn't usually act and the course that I've done for fetish.com it will give you everything you need to learn about pet play how to do it where to do it why you would want to do it so if you don't know anything about it at all like I said it will give you a comprehensive overview I've got some great interviews on there with the performers and I think when you hear from them about their emotional experiences of it and why they love it that is probably way more convincing than I could ever be <laughs> as an instructor I just think it's really beautiful when you get to see how obviously fulfilling and nurturing it is for them yeah I think it's really interesting because Anne and I we talked before because um, of course puppy plays also a huge part of uh, gay culture and I don't know I said that for a lot of times I we see these puppies and we see them kind of from a fetish aspect, you know, we see the masks and then we have we build up some sexual fantasy. But what I learned from your course and actually hearing you and your performers talk, it's much more about the play aspect of it and sex is not necessarily involved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 
I think that's relatively common in the BDSM community in that sex does not have to form part of the interactions. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but those two things don't necessarily have to go together. And indeed, I've been to many play parties where sex, first of all, wasn't even permitted in the space. Some people feel safer practicing their kink or playing with each other if they know that that boundary is there. And I actually think that setting up that kind of container, especially if it's your first time playing with a particular kink, can be really helpful. Uh, For example, if I am sessioning with a new client and we're going to do some primal play, which is different to pet play, and I can explain that in a moment if you like, a boundary that I will often agree with them is to say, okay, doesn't matter how close I come to you, I'm not going to touch you. And then they immediately can Mm. drop into this feeling of safety of, well, I can play and I can move around and I don't have to worry that this other animal is going to try and physically interact with me by touching me. And I think it's the same with sex. If someone wants to indulge in some spanking or some pet play, if they know that the other person isn't going to try and interact with them sexually, they can let themselves go a little bit more. So if you would explain it to a real outsider, what is it that draws people to BDSM if it's not the sex part? So something that I say is that I think what people crave more than orgasms are intense emotional experiences. And I think that's what it comes down to. In a really well-made BDSM scene, we could experience a really magnificent emotional arc from nervousness to excitement to relief to soothing. And what a wonderful gift to give someone. Yeah, I I do agree though that people do always conflate the two specifically, people that are vanilla or outside the community. So it's interesting to hear you talk about kind of play that's not sexual. And that idea that people have that BDSM is always this dark practice in dungeons and it's really serious and I like the way you said you can actually just have a bit of fun with the people that you're playing with. Yeah I'd really like to reframe sex and BDSM as just a way that humans play you know almost like an extension of play that this is just a way that human animals play we're pretty complex we've devised contraptions and items for everything that we do in life you know from pushing a baby around in a pram to you know putting lipstick on or clothing you know we're basically seven billion chimps on a planet and we've just put ourselves in different outfits and given ourselves jobs and it's just crazy you know how complex we've made everything <laughs> and removed ourselves so far from the animal kingdom of which we are a part so going back it would actually be really helpful if you did help us distinguish between primal and pet play because I'm kind of in my head thinking it's the same thing, but you seem to think no. <laughs> yeah, and um, with most things in BDSM, I think everyone can come at it with from a different angle or define it in different ways. But for me, uh, the pet play involves this dominant submissive, so like a power dynamic, and there are very defined roles and protocols. So an owner and a pet, for example one human animal and one other type of animal. Whereas if I share primal play within a session, that will be a role play where myself and my client are equals in the space. 
and the typical rules that I will agree to create a container for that to happen will be we are not going to use words so not the human verbal communication so it cuts out that filter of communication straight away and we will interact with each other and the space as a sensory being so as a primal being as an animal and that might mean going around on all fours and touching things smelling things vocalizing our feelings towards each other without the filter of language so it could be a grrr or a I will encourage my clients to think of, you know, how, how would you express that emotion with a sound? If you can't use your words, how are you going to let me know how you're feeling? It's about communicating with our bodies rather than all of the cognitive parts that humans can't put so much value on. <laughs> so it's really great for people to build confidence in terms of tuning into you know, how does my body feel? Does my body want to be closer to this other animal body or does it want to be further away? And how am I going to communicate that to them? Hmm. Do you think it takes a specific type of person that can engage in this play? Because I'm thinking about myself in that I think I would feel really self-conscious. Like whenever I've done drama lessons and it's improv of an animal, I find it really hard to to not not have that self-consciousness that I feel a bit silly. I guess for you, it's actually working through that shame and silliness to find that animal part of you. Yeah, absolutely. I hear the same thing time and time again. Um, after the event, it will be feedback along the lines of, oh, I felt a bit silly to begin with, but then afterwards I felt so free. When we have this notion of, well, I look silly, it's almost like we are, I don't know, let's just imagine we have a piece of, rope that's tied around our ankle and the other end is tied around a tree so that is the length that we can walk around in a circle and the concept of silliness will always keep us at that length and then when we realize that actually we could be a bit silly and nothing bad happens to us we can snap that rope and we can go even further hmm. yeah i think you've already touched on this idea before a bit But would you say if you experience something or a certain state of mind in a BDSM scenario that this also helps you in your day-to-day -day life as a person? Yeah, I think so. Um, building on what I was saying with the concept of having a piece of rope tied around an ankle and then the other end tied around the tree, uh, imagine that as being a neurological pathway, so you know, a pathway of experience in our brain, which we have traveled many many times i we know well i can go from a to b on this way and then i kind of feel safe and then let's just say we have a bdsm session and we experience something that maybe didn't feel completely safe within that length of rope but we did it anyway and then it opens up a whole new realm so it can create new neural pathways in the brain yeah it's super interesting i was also thinking is there a difference between in-session pet play and lifestyle pet play because have you ever seen the channel 4 documentary about puppies i haven't actually but i've heard very good things about it <laughs> yeah it's really good i highly recommend it but this is this is often people that are puppies or have adopted a pet persona almost permanently 
and they kind of live in dog baskets and you know poo outside like a dog so I, I guess there's a distinction right there's a spectrum of pet play primal play and is yours mostly kept in session contained rather than out in sort of more lifestyle kind of way yeah I think another one of the great things about kink is that there's no right or wrong there's just what works and what doesn't work and some people prefer to compartmentalize and others have found a lifestyle that works so well for them they want to do it all the time and I think that's wonderful and you know it would be great if we could all find ways of living in which we felt completely comfortable for me the pet play it does tend to be in sessions in terms of my own lifestyle I'm not really one for too many rules myself or protocols when I'm at home (laughs) you will quite often hear me communicating in a way that really isn't human (laughs) I find it a really nice way of just communicating like grumbling or groaning so you know it does creep into my personal life as well even if it isn't within a very obvious formal container just thinking of it because pet play is obviously a form of role play in a way so you're taking on a role that's not your usual self but would you say that maybe people are even more their true selves in a play scenario yeah i like to think of a pet play scenario as giving someone an opportunity to express themselves in an unfiltered way so we could say that it creates a presentation of more of their their true self or perhaps it's just another aspect of themselves one that they do not fully express when they are interacting in the human or mundane world where they have to use their words and they might not be expressing all of their emotions so you know if someone is at work for example they might feel very uncomfortable during a particular conversation they might feel worried they might feel self-conscious they might feel stressed but they won't show any of that because they're keeping up the appearances of I'm a capable competent human and I'm doing my job and I can handle this whereas in the animal space as a pet if they felt like that they could whimper they could show with their body they could roll over and that would be a pure undiluted expression of their emotional state at the time. Yeah, this is something kind of watching your course, I saw kind of how really in the moment your guests, because you have two guests in the course and they show two pet play scenarios and they were kind of so really in the moment. Kind of how do you, is this something people already achieve when they try it the first time? Is this kind of, I don't know, is this a question of motivation or personality or does it just take time? Yeah, does it take a few goes at it before you can really be your true pet self? Well, uh, perhaps it is in the skill of the handler as well with newbies because every time I have conducted a pet play session with someone who is completely new to it, they've really got into it. And even though they felt self-conscious or nervous about starting, once I started playing with them, because I've had a lot of dogs and cats in my life as well and I know how to play with animals. (laughs) How many dogs and cats do you have? I just have one cat at the moment, but yeah, I've always been surrounded by animals. (laughs) And I think it shows, I've had clients say to me, oh, I can tell that you know how to play with animals. 
<laughs> well, that's good for your line of work, right? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Something Anne and I were also talking before is because you just mentioned that a lot of times it depends on the handler, and um, we thought, especially kind of thinking of BDSM and trauma and BDSM on and mental health. I think a lot of times we see kind of the, the the top part as somebody who's really kind of stable and knows what they're doing and know what they want and the submissive part as somebody who needs guidance. How do you see it? Is it also that sometimes it's, you know, it can be therapeutic in a way that it benefits the top and the bottom? Yeah, I like to practice BDSM in such a way that it's a co-creation. I talk to anyone that I session with a lot before we actually decide to session because I want to ensure that they're taking responsibility for themselves and this is why I've rejected the label of dominatrix over the years because I think that there is a perception that we all are dominatrix, you have all the control, you have all the responsibility, I'm just going to show up and you tell me what to do and I'm just like, uh, uh-uh, no way. <laughs> we're going to co-create this. We both have responsibility for ourselves within this space and we're going to negotiate this. And, you know, we each give each other a gift. You know, I like to think that I create a space and I facilitate the experience for another person. And I would expect them to be active in any scene in that they have an awareness of what their boundaries are and that they aren't going to cross them because otherwise I won't feel safe. Exactly. I think that's really what people don't understand is that tops have boundaries and limits too. And the consent goes both ways. Sometimes it's actually more difficult for a top because you have so much responsibility Mm. for a submissive. Yeah, and I, I think it's also a really good point because at fetish.com, we are, we are BDSM and fetish dating website. Mm. And a lot of times people just come on there and they think, I'm a dominant, do what uh, what I want, or I'm a submissive, please use me. And um, I think kind of what you're saying is that the communication and speaking before the session is actually a really crucial part. Yes, absolutely. Speaking before a session is crucial for both parties to see if there is an alignment of interests because you know the words that we use you know oh I'm a dominant or I'm a submissive that doesn't tell the full story because you know we might have completely different understandings of what those words mean and what what we want from an interaction and I think it's really important to dig into people's motivations understand where they are and where they want to be and for me to be able to gauge whether or not I can help them achieve that. Is this what you refer to when you speak about conscious kink? Exactly that, yeah. For me, it's the, the conscious aspect comes from having an awareness of why they want to do something. And this is really just my personal style. I'm a thinker, like I said before, I've always had a huge thirst for knowledge and understanding. I just want to know everything and I want to understand it all. And therefore I want to work with people that are have similar drives that, you know, they want to understand themselves a bit better. That's what I can get on board with. Yeah. I really actually also really like your name, your chosen name. 
and your real name, obviously. Divine Theratrix, which is a, a mashup between dominatrix and therapist, right? I know you have said that you're not a therapist and you want to make that clear, but how did that concept of combining the idea of being a therapist and dominatrix together come about? Well, when I was seriously considering changing my career, I was working in my spare time as a talking therapist. And I think there was a perception around dominatrix that they were in control. And on the other hand, as a therapist, it's the client that's in control. And neither one of those really fit how I wanted to be a helper. Because I think that both parties within the container need to bring something to it and both take responsibility so I thought well okay you know can I create a container where there's joint agency and whatever transpires is a co-creation rather than just one party shouldering all of the responsibility um you know it's not a question of well one of you has the answers and you're going to give them to me you know whether that be the client in a therapeutic relationship which is generally how most practitioners work from the humanistic perspective and so I just thought you know maybe there's some kind of hybrid (laughs) by mashing up those two terms and then I actually saw a sketch a cartoon sketch uh, and I can't remember where I found that but the picture was of a man laying on a couch so in like a psychodynamic setup where they're facing away from the therapist And the therapist was a woman wearing thigh-high boots and fishnet stockings. (laughs) And on her door it said, Theratrix. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought, what? Was this a children's cartoon or adults? (laughs) Was it for children? I saw it now, yeah, but I just thought, that's brilliant. And then I just thought, yeah, I'm going to have that. (laughs) And I'm really glad that you like it. That's actually really good, yeah. (laughs) No, I think it's great. I really also, we do talk a lot about how BDSM can be used to not just overcome trauma, but actually confront it. Even though I know a lot of people in the vanilla world might see BDSM as inflicting trauma because they don't really understand the practices. So as you say, you're sort of a trauma-informed counsellor. Is that how you would define yourself? Yeah, I have been trained in identifying trauma and how to hold space for someone when their nervous system is activated because that's essentially what a trauma response is it's when our nervous system has been so overwhelmed by an experience that we go into either hyper arousal or hypo arousal so being trauma informed as a practitioner means that I can help a client regulate themselves So if I think that they're having a trauma response, I can guide them through the use of what I call somatic resources, which are the body's own resources, to then bring themselves back into a regulated state where they're then able to make intelligent decisions again. Because, you know, trauma just kind of fries our circuits. We either want to fight it, run away from it, submit to it, and Mm. not in any of those spaces are we equipped to decide as an adult what we're going to do. So in, that, in what ways can BDSM be used to work through trauma? In your experience, are there some tools that you use to help someone confront these kind of maybe demons from the past or 
erratic feelings that might come out of a session? Yeah, it's a very individual thing and the trauma aspect is not something that I market specifically because I don't want to be seen as a go-to person to explore trauma. I think it's more of a side effect or a benefit that someone who comes to me might identify for themselves. Maybe I can think of an example. Let's just say someone in their childhood was shamed for crying and they never had a space to to cry. We might have a a role play in a session where I almost take on a, a, a mother role and they then get to have the experience that they didn't have as a child and that's purely decided by them. It's not something that's directed by me. They come to me with an awareness of, you know, I feel like I really need to go to this place and to have that emotional release. So that's that's one angle. If we're looking at BDSM as a tool to explore trauma, uh, we can have cathartic experiences. And going back to the point where I was talking about Sorry, that's my cat just meowing. (laughs) Nice to meet her. It's very on theme, so it's all good. Yeah, wow. Yeah, we can rewire our brains because let's just say we have been traumatised at a particular point, then we have that pathway already set up in our brain where it's almost like the experience is imprinted onto us and it's not stamped on with a date it's not like our body or our nervous system knows oh yeah that happened 15 20 years ago whenever something activates our nervous system in a similar way it's like it's happening now and so if we know that and we have an awareness of what tends to activate us we can work on encountering new experiences that set up positive reference points so that Eventually, if we keep setting up those positive reference points of experiences that were not traumatic, we can create enough of those to outweigh the old programming, so the old traumatic programming, which tells us that, you know, I'm always going to be scared, I've always got to run away, I can't do this, I have to hide. I think it's a means of re-educating our systems in a way. Also, basically in your sessions, you create a safe space where these experiences can happen. Yes, exactly. What about aftercare? Because we talk a lot about aftercare on on fetish and how important it is. And I'm sure not everyone will know what aftercare is or even practice it and how important it is. So do you also make time in sessions if you feel you need for aftercare? Yes, it's an integral part of any session. I always think that an experience to be a complete experience needs a beginning, a middle and an end. And so with a BDSM session, the beginning part will be a sit down, an orientation chat, if you will, just recapping over, well, you know, we spoke about X, Y and Z and, you know, here's the space. Let's run through what it might look like, how it might pan out. Are you still OK with that? And then we have the BDSM structures. And then after that, there'll be some time to come back into normal state of consciousness because during the BDSM part, essentially it's taking someone through altered states. It's affecting their emotional state, 
But then after that, they still need to go back out into the world <laughs> and go about their business. And so to have a very intense session and then just say, okay, bye, that's done now. I think that would be very irresponsible and, and careless. And so allowing someone some time to be quiet and to be soothed and, you know, have a warm drink and we have a debrief chat as well. I think that's a really important part of the whole process. Yeah, I like what you just said that kind of before the session even starts, you sit down and talk about what is going to happen more or less on the day. And this is a point when it's still okay to say, I'm not in the mood for that or that today. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't rely on a previous phone call or an email exchange because people's moods and their consent is dynamic and it moves from moment to moment and I always want to understand what kind of emotional state someone is in and how they're feeling, how they want to feel and whether or not they are happy to go ahead with a certain activity and I wouldn't assume that just because they've agreed to a particular activity prior to a session that they're still happy to go through with it. It could be anything. Someone could have had a bit of a stressful drive down or you know they might be a bit tired and I would always want to make an adjustment for the sake of someone's comfortability. We've also we've spoken about trauma but what about pleasure because I know you're a sex coach and I know you value pleasure as as I'm sure we all do but also it's maybe something that is neglected more than people talk more about the pain in BDSM I think than the pleasure and how important it is to also have fun and feel good. How do you incorporate that into your teachings and your work? Oh, by the way, for anyone listening, there is a cat on the screen. That wasn't just me suddenly saying, oh. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for pleasure. I think it's our birthright. And I like to say that the future of humans is pleasure. And I see that there's a lot of shame around pleasure. I've been asked before, oh, do you enjoy your job? As if I should be ashamed of enjoying it. Like, oh, we should only be productive. We should always be useful. It's like we're programmed from when we go to school that you have to be useful and you have to be purposeful. And like, you know, I think something being pleasurable is enough, isn't it? If we're safe. I, I think that yes. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I think there's this big idea that work is work and it's not enjoyable. Yeah, and you separate the sexual pleasure of life in, in into the private realm totally and you can't bring it into your work life or your personal life outside of the bedroom or the dungeon or whatever. But I think I think more and more that's changing that narrative. I'd like to think it's changing, especially for female pleasure, but would you say that you're seeing kink and and pleasure especially for women destigmatized yeah i am seeing some very positive news articles even even in the mainstream media i just picked up on something recently around um an increase in naturist activities over lockdown so sort of people doing lots of activities over zoom calls in the nude and i just think that's great something else Love where it. we can banish shame yeah <laughs> like, why Fashion not, industry is going down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I'm all for clothes if they keep me warm, but generally I just want to rip them off as soon as I can. <laughs> I totally agree. It's the first thing I do when I get home. But I don't know if I yet have the uh, the the bravery to just walk down the streets naked, but I'm hoping one day it will happen. Also because sometimes it's just illegal. It is illegal, yeah, in many places, to be fair. But actually, we work on Barcelona, Barcelona Beach in Barcelona, and there is a nude beach just down right the road. Right next to It's very liberating. Office, yeah. I, I go for a walk at lunch, and I see loads of nude people. And often they're quite a bit older. Yeah, maybe for, for on your next walk, you <laughs> can be walk. in the nude. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I can't wait till travel opens up again, and I can go to the south of France and go and do some shopping in the nude and whatever else. Think volleyball, that's the thing that most people do, isn't it? (laughs) Is that the French way, just shopping in the nude? (laughs) Yeah, apparently so, in certain resorts. Love it. Go and buy your your melons or your baguettes. you should also go... Yeah, you should also go to uh, Glastonbury. It's got a big nudist scene there. Oh, really? Hmm. Not just the festival, but the the town. Yeah, if you just walk down the street, there's a lot of naked people. Well, I've been to, stayed in Glastonbury quite a lot and I never saw anyone that was nude. So um, now I feel a bit hard done by. <laughs> oh dear, where are they? It was just, <laughs> such, fun. It was just yeah. such fun because I think, I think we have a slight delay. And so Anna mentioned Glastonbury and your face just remained kind of motionless. And I thought, okay, not, not amused. She hates Glastonbury. Do not mention it again. <laughs> oh... Anyway, we got sidetracked. But yes, all for pleasure. Mm. And there should be more of it. Yeah, BDSM and sex are ways that humans can play and have fun. And I think we can be happy and who doesn't want to be happy? Oh, well. Oh, yeah. Well, that is wise. Yeah, okay, so to kind of sum it all up, basically we spoke spoke about um, the importance of... (laughs) Sorry. Uh, We spoke about the importance of communication of people's need to play and that you have kind of a conversation before the session to see about how the session can go no matter if it's BDSM or puppy play or primal play and then you have a session where you're really in the moment something that can also kind of affect your day-to-day life or how, how you interact with other people as a person and then we quickly touched on aftercare when we spoke about how important it is to come down from a really strong emotional experience yeah yeah absolutely is there anything else you think would be important for any listeners to know about your work and where to find you actually because i know you're in london but maybe you do online sessions i'm not sure now that we've been living through a pandemic so just tell us anything that people should know yeah i am due to update my website yet again to make it clearer what somatic resources are because I'm finding more and more that when a client comes to me and we agree a series of sessions that as a foundation to spend some time working with the body and understanding the resources of breath sound touch and movement is really helpful for them to feel more in command of themselves in terms of understanding those moments in day-to-day life where they feel a nervous system activation and then they think, oh, it's okay, I'm just going to take a few deep breaths and now I feel ready to speak again. And, yeah, I've been working with a lot of clients with those kinds of skills 
for a while and with the BDSM on top of that as well so there is some information about that on my website www.divinetheatrix.com I session in London mostly I don't tend to do much work online unless it's um, consultation so if someone contacts me and they're interested in my work there will always be an exploratory discussion which will tend to be by video call or voice call depending on what my client's level of comfortability is because not everyone wants to make eye contact you know I've um, done quite a lot of work with autistic people and you know it's it's good to recognize that all of us have different ways of interacting and different levels of comfortability and I'd like to think that I can provide a space for a variety of means of those interactions to occur but in terms of sessions I don't really do those online I find that I'm a lot better when I can be in a physical space with a person now, there's so much sensory data that we pick up just through sharing physical space I found that over lockdown when a lot of people moved their work online it just didn't suit me uh, I'm a bit old-fashioned in that respect I guess fair yeah. enough and I, I think I there's it. kind of there's a real need now for um, person-to-person contact yeah. in a real space I mean I know some people actually prefer doing sessions online and that suits them but uh, I get what you're saying about picking up on you know body language and chemicals when you're in the room so I totally get that online sessions might not suit everyone mm, yeah and what about your Instagram, Twitters? Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Yes, yeah, so I'm on both Instagram and Twitter as Divine Theratrix. So just all one word, D-I-V-I-N-E-T-H-E-R-A-T-R-I-X. <laughs> so yeah, at Divine Theratrix. And I share little videos on Instagram where I talk about topical issues. So I did one today about nudity. <laughs> because that that popped up yeah I talk about my work and I like to give little how to's you know how to relax your partner during sex how to negotiate BDSM scenes and little bits of info that I think might be helpful and of course you are on fetish.com on the BDSM training school with uh, your introductory course on pet play Yes, go to fetish.com, anyone that wants to get into pet play, see what it's about, and also see your work in video form. Yes, please do. I'm really proud of that course. It was such a lot of fun to make, and I found myself almost like crying or looking on with pride and joy at these two wonderful humans having such lovely interactions, and I just really hope that people can come at it with an open mind and once they see it for themselves they'll get what it's all about yeah yeah Yeah. it's really great everyone should check it out just log into fetish.com it's free to sign up and click on bdsm training school and introduction to pet play is right there thank you so much for being here with us it was a pleasure and i i think i we learned a lot i think i did yeah yeah Thanks so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Everyone, go to your social medias. (laughs) No worries. Let's catch up soon. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. 
So that was Divine Theratrix. Anna, would you be up for trying pad play now? You know what? She really did make it sound very appealing. I feel like I'm too in my own head about stuff. And you know how she was talking about the reason quite a lot of people like BDSM and BDSM play is that the sensation takes you away from your mind and you actually aren't always up here. I'm pointing to my head, by the way, to listeners. You're just feeling the sensations and yeah, it's a break from yourself in a way. You know, this is actually something I really like about talking to all the educators and the experts uh, we have on the podcast because it really is your kink might not be my kink but it's okay but when you hear somebody talking about what they do and why they love it and how they feel about it it makes it sound really appealing exactly like what they get out of it doesn't mean that that's necessarily what you will and that's okay mm. there's probably a kink for everyone actually but people are unwilling to go there because maybe they see something they're like well that's not for me you just have to find your own uh, yeah i think really if there's one red thread that's kind of connecting all our podcast episodes it's really kind of a big part of bdsm is knowing what you want and being able to communicate it and then find your people to practice this with right and divine theratrix said the sanest people she's ever met are in the bdsm community because they know what they want and they've done the time and the research to explore it. Oof, yeah, and with this, season one is coming to an end. Oh, I can't believe it. Yeah. You know, we had a lot what of a trouble journey. getting this off the ground because we started it and then the pandemic hit. And we were in Barcelona where you couldn't actually really leave your house. So we left it, you know, we left it for a while. And then when things finally started opening up again, we definitely realized we wanted to do it in person. It made it like much better than always doing it remote, <laughs> except today because you have oh, COVID. Yeah. I mean, it's really okay when you do it kind of like this once or twice, but it's just nicer when we are both in the studio. And yeah, because we are also, we're having loads of fun doing this. Yeah, and we hope you are too. So we, we really want feedback. We want to hear what you want to hear next what you liked, what you didn't like so much, because we're going to go into full planning mode of season two this week and next. So please reach out to us on our Instagram at Spanky Next Podcast, as well as sign up to veg.com and you can hit us up there. My username is Anna Lou and Gregor's is Geordie Star. Exactly, yeah, just write us a message, hit us up. We'd love to know what you think about the podcast, what you want to hear next. And also if you have a story that you would like to tell on the podcast, we are always open for that. We are all is. And with that, I think all there is with to that. say is goodbye for now. We'll be back around mid-April, we think, with a new episode. So keep your ears peeled and we'll see you then. And keep it kinky until then. As usual, keep it kinky. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Spanky Next on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Spanky Next Podcast. If you're looking to connect with people who share your kinks, sign up to fetish.com for free or download the Fet app from Google Play and the App Store. And for anyone looking to deepen their knowledge of kink, head to the BDSM training school on fetish.com and enroll in a course now. And last but not least, shout out to our producer Tim Smith.